0: Welcome to Out of the Box Sunday School. I am your host, Takia Evans. Thanks for taking the time to listen in today. Our lesson is entitled, Practice Justice. The Bible background is from Jeremiah chapter 21. and The printed text is Jeremiah chapter 21, 8 through 14. Evil is very prevalent throughout our human society. Such evil continues to perpetuate, and we often wonder why some people or groups are not punished. We as a society have to prioritize justice. God's command is for justice to be the priority. It cannot be secondary or ignored. In this lesson, Jeremiah tells us that God is a God of justice. Time was running out for the nation of Judah. God's justice and judgment were catching up with the people and their leaders for their long-standing idol worshiping and their refusal to listen to God's prophets, such as Jeremiah. Even on the verge of destruction by the hands of the Babylonians, there was still time for the leaders of Judah to act. They could administer justice and stand for the oppressed in accordance with the teachings of God's prophets. Jeremiah is one of the giants of Old Testament prophecy. He was the son of a priest. He received his calling as a prophet in 626 BC during the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. The book of Jeremiah reveals a lot about the inner turmoil and conflict of which Jeremiah delivered his prophetic burden. Jeremiah witnessed a great spiritual revival and awakening in Jerusalem. During this time, Jerusalem was sandwiched in between two powerful nations. At various times, both nations had threatened to wipe out God's chosen nation. God spoke through Jeremiah, who attempted to persuade them to repentance and faithfulness to to Yahweh and laid before them the consequences of their rebellion against Yahweh. Unfortunately, the people chose to listen to false prophets and they rejected the word of the Lord. This is a cautionary tale to people who claim to be in a relationship with God, but prioritized oppression and self-centeredness. God does not prioritize oppressors, even if they consider themselves to be his chosen people. The destruction of Jerusalem is a prime example of God's zero tolerance for exploitation. Jeremiah calls us to remember that we must cons- consistently consider whose side we are on. Because God will not stand by us if we are wrong and wrongdoing of others. As we study this lesson, let's remember that the Lord stands squarely against those who oppress. Even though the Babylonians are oppressive and employ imperial domination, what does the Lord's use of the Babylonians indicate to us about the Lord's commitment to justice? In what way is the Babylonian destruction of Judah a part of the same system of violence that the Jerusalem elite perpetuated against the poor and marginalized? How does violent imagery function to compel God's people to actively resist injustice? Today I'm going to be reading from the Contemporary English Version, and our lesson starts with Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8. Then I told them that the Lord had said, People of Jerusalem, I, the Lord, give you the choice of life or death. The Babylonian army has surrounded Jerusalem, so if you want to live, you must go out and surrender to them. But if you want to die because of hunger, disease, or war, then stay here in the city. I have decided not to rescue Jerusalem, instead, I am going to let the king of Babylon burn it to the ground. I, the Lord, have spoken. So prior to these verses, in verses one through seven, Nebuchadnezzar has come against Jerusalem to destroy it. And the king, the current king uh, of Judah, is hopeful that the Lord will deliver them. After all, God has saved them so many times in the past, but this time will be will be a little different. Not only will he not save them, but the Lord himself is against his own people because of their constancy and their rejection. Jeremiah first addresses the king, King Zedekiah, and now in verse 8, he addresses the people of the city. God has been very patient with his people for centuries as they worship other gods, and these are the little G's, and disregards his laws. And now the time for judgment has finally arrived. But God, being the God he is, graciously provides a way of escape. He could have rightfully destroyed them and it would have been justified uh, since the wages of sin is death, which is stated in Romans 3.23. Instead, he tells them that there still remains a quote unquote way of life. This involves obedience to God's commands, loving him, fearing him and serving him. Their failure in this task causes them to now face God's judgment, but God set before them the way of life just one more time. Now, God describes this way of life and the way of death for the people of Jerusalem. Those who choose to remain in the city will face death. And Jeremiah lets them know that they may die by a sword. If you're reading from your King James Version, it'll say sword, famine, and pestilence. Um, so if they're dying by sword or by war, um, that's the way they, they chose that way because they decided to stay in the city or they may die by famine, which is a lack of food due to no rain, or they may die by pestilence, diseases, or plagues. And all three are among the covenant curses that God had promised to bring among the people stated in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And that's if they do not remain loyal to him. Those that decided to leave the city will have their lives saved and the people are encouraged to surrender uh, and submit to the Chaldeans, or also known as the Babylonians. Even though Jerusalem will lose the battle against the Babylonians, those who leave will at least win their own lives. This option may not be the best case scenario that the people may have hoped for, but it is at least better than dying. The act of surrendering to the enemy is not a popular choice. As a matter of fact, it could be very dangerous, but if we, but it will take faith to believe that their lives will be spared if they leave the city. And God's ways are sometimes quite different from what we think. God is calling the people to trust him for a way of escape, even as he is bringing judgment. And then in verse 10, it is certain that Jerusalem will fall to to Babylon, but this is not because Babylon is more powerful than Jerusalem. Jerusalem is certain to fall because God himself is against the city and is directing their events for his purposes. God is using Nebuchadnezzar as a servant, as God's instrument of judgment. Babylon does not take Jerusalem, rather Jerusalem is given into their hand. Since God is good and not evil, it may be difficult to understand how he has determined to bring evil against Jerusalem. God is bringing a deserved and just form of punishment or judgment against the people for their sin. Then we move down to uh, Jeremiah chapter um, verse 11 and 12. Pay attention, you that belong to the royal family. Each new day, make sure that justice is done and rescue those who are being robbed or else my anger will flame up like a fire that never goes out. After God provides one last opportunity for the people to escape with their lives, he turns back to address the kings. These are uh, the kings that are surrounding uh, Judah or those future kings doesn't necessarily address a name, because previously he addresses Zedekiah, but here in this message, um, it's to various kings during this time. And God's message to the kings is that the ju- is that justice is to be continual and make it a priority. This means to come to the defense of those who have been robbed by delivering them from those who have oppressed them. It is clear from the 8th century prophets that the abuse of the poor at the hands of the rich was a significant problem in society. And then we fast forward 200 years later, the situation still remains unchanged as the wealthy and powerful continue to take advantage of the lower class. It is the primary responsibility of the king in, the, in Israel to perform the justice and righteousness throughout the land by maintaining God's laws and promoting the economic and social welfare of the entire population. But turning a blind eye to the plight of the poor is such a great evil in God's eyes that he will unleash his just wrath on them. Wrath so great that it is like a raging fire that cannot be put out. In our latter verses 13 and 14, they read, Jerusalem, from your mountaintop, you look out over the valleys and think you are safe. But I the Lord am angry, and I will punish you as you deserve. It set I'll set your palace on fire, and everything around you will go up in smoke. We should never become desensitized to the harshness of the language in these verses. Here God continues to describe the judgment he will bring against the kings of Judah and on the whole city. God has given them a strong warning, encouraging them to change their ways to avoid judgment. So now the verdict is in and they failed. And God's judgment is certain. God has often intervened on behalf of his people, but this time he is against them. God addresses Jerusalem, which now, you know, of course, Jerusalem is surrounded on three sides by valleys and has a, relatively strong rock-like fortress, and it appears that the people were quite confident that they were safe and secure. Nothing could touch them. Nothing could harm them. Um, From a human point of view, Judah had little chance against Nebuchadnezzar's army, but the people of Judah also thought that God would protect them and that he would never allow his temple, his city, and his king to be taken. In response to their boastful claim that no one can enter the city, God says that he will do it himself. He will initiate the punishment the fruit of their, because of the fruit of their doings. This could refer to many violations of God's laws, but it likely re mainly refers to the one issue described at the beginning of God's message in verse 12, the failure of kings and people to deal justly with the needy in the land. As before, God's judgment will take the form of fire a fire that will devour and consume everything around. The whole city, of course, will be destroyed. In this lesson, we should be compelled to take stock of the ways in which we have been an active or complicit participant in the oppression of others. It is important that we regularly examine how the corporate elite benefits from low wages to the workers they employ. We should not forget how global capitalization leaves many people around the world in poverty in order to provide inexpensive clothing and technology. We also have to be conscious of how our tax dollars fund programs and government agencies. We have to repent so that we can find ourselves on God's side and not on the side of making excuses for oppression. So whose side are you on? Whose pain do you feel the most? is it children the elderly the homeless immigrants the poor victims of racial or gender discrimination the falsely incarcerated the overpoliced those affected directly by climate change it's up to you to find a way to stand on their side which is also the side of god perhaps it can be through donating to an organization that deals with those issues Perhaps it is volunteering. Perhaps it is to boycott a restaurant that uses discriminatory hiring practices. Perhaps it is a pro- to protest a store that uses problematic images in its marketing materials. Take an issue that is close to you and choose to stand with those people and with God. It's up to us to make it happen. Uh, be blessed and thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School. Talk to you next week. Welcome to Out of the Box Sunday School. I am your host, Takia Evans. Thanks for taking the time to listen in today. Our lesson is entitled, Return to Love and Justice. The Bible background is from Hosea chapters 11 through 12. The printed text in the lesson is Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, 7 through 10, Then we skip over to Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and 6 through 14. People often equate prosperity with righteousness. Is prosperity the standard by which people and society should be judged? Hosea reminds us that love and justice are God's standard. The book of Hosea illustrates a time when the people of Israel have been unfaithful to God through worship. They also sought out relationships with Assyria and Egypt that were not approved by God, all in pursuit of military gain, and they subjected themselves to improper worship of Baal. God has shown his commitment to the people of Israel, and and yet they continue to both reject his love and disobey his commands. This passage shows how God is lamenting the frustrations of a people who continue to defile the meaning of worship. The ancestors of Jacob, who was later named Israel, remained under the belief that their benefits would be a direct result of their success without the help from God. These descendants remained steadfast in their worshiping of idols, resulting in dishonesty and became the norm in how people attained their their wealth. Chapter 11 begins with the imagery of of a court of law where God has his own witness as his own witness, seems to state his case against his people. We'll be starting with Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. But as the saying goes, the more they were called, the more they rebelled. They never stopped offering incense and sacrifices to the idols of Baal. So here we have a picture of a father's tender love for his child, the Lord as the father and Israel as a child. The phrase, when Israel was a child, then I loved him, refers to the formative years of Israel as a nation in Egypt during and after the time of Joseph and his generation. The effect of God's loving uh, affection for Israel is implicitly stated in then I loved him. This implies that the Lord blessed Israel economically and numerically, and the effects of God's loving affection for Israel is also explicitly expressed here, where God demonstrated his love for Israel by redeeming them from the bondage in Israel. This is captured in that phrase, out of Egypt. God has such a deep love for Israel, but Israel did not appreciate or reciprocate God's love. Rather, the more he loved and called them, the the more they wandered away from God and worshiped the idols of Baal and other gods. God also delivered delivered Israel both spiritually and physically out of Egypt. God's main purpose for the Exodus was to to separate Israel from the worship of idols and to establish a, a, a more intimate relationship with them. But they constantly rejected him and followed other gods throughout their journey to the promised land. Then in starting at uh, verse 10, at verse 7, in chapter 11, verse 7 through 10, it reads. My people are determined to reject me for a God. They think is stronger, but he can't help. Israel, I can't let you go. I can't give you up. How could I possibly destroy you as I did the towns of Adma and Zebium? I just can't do it. My feelings for you are much too strong. Israel, I won't lose my temper and destroy you again. I am the holy God, not merely some human, and I can't stay and I won't stay angry. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion and my children will return trembling from the west. So in spite of God's tender love and care and warnings of exile, Israel continues to rebel and reject God. Verse seven points out that the people were determined to walk away from God, no matter how hard he tried to make it work. None of them would worship or honor God. They were being like spoiled children. Israel habitually uh, turned away from God, deliberately dishonoring the Lord. With all this foolishness that Israel is doing, they deserve the severest punishment possible. And of course, God is obligated to fulfill that part of the covenant. However, since God is infinitely just and infinitely merciful, he is not giving up. Here, mercy is winning. The Lord also questions Israel about about what to do with them. He asks, does he give them up or make them equivalent to what he's done to Admon, and Zebium, which was total destruction of the land and of the people. Israel rightfully deserved a similar punishment. However, as God agonizes on this and envision what the outcome would be, he had a change of heart. His, his, his compassion took over. He changed his mind. The Lord displays his characteristics of mercy and faithfulness to, towards the people. This action is in accordance with his eternal purpose of love and mercy for his people. And in verse 10, Hosea prophesizes a better relationship between Israel and their God. In contrast to their formal life of rebellion and stubbornness, they will follow the Lord. God will call people from everywhere to repentance. And in this passage of lesson, we skip over to to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. All day long, Israel chases wind from the desert. Deceit and violence are found everywhere. Trees are made with Assyria. Olive oil is taken to Egypt. The Lord also brings charges against the people of Judah, the descendants of Jacob. He will punish them for what they have done. Hosea Hosea continues God's charge against Ephraim, also known as Israel, for their waywardness. Using the figure of speech of wind, Hosea describes Israel's pursuit of vain things and their false reliance on humans rather than relying on God. They are eagerly striving uh, after empty or worthless things. So Israel is falling into ruin with the daily increase in lies and desolation. Here they are continually deepening in false uh, falsehood and violence. Not only that, they even sought out an alliance with worldly powers. Um, they made this agreement or some type of treaty with Assyria and Egypt, here hoping to secure help. In verse two, Hosea points out that the Lord has a charge against Judah and that they will be punished according to their deeds. So nobody here will go unpunished. And it's all because they could not or would not give up their their idol worshiping. Then we skip over to verse six through 14. So return to your God, patiently trust him and show love and justice. Israel, you enjoy cheating and taking advantage of others. You say to yourself, I'm rich. I earned it all on my own without committing a sin. Israel, I, the Lord, am still your God, just as I have been since the time you were in Egypt. Now I force you to live in tents once again, as you did in the desert. I spoke to the prophets. Often I spoke in visions, and so I will see my prophets with messages of doom. Gilead is, ter- is terribly sinful and will end up ruined. Bulls are sacrificed in Gilgal, all altars made of stone, but those stones will be scattered in every field. Jacob escaped to Syria where he tended sheep to earn himself a wife. I sent the prophet Moses to lead Israel from Egypt and to keep them safe. Israel, I will make you pay for your violent crimes and for insulting me. So after laying the charge against Judah and Israel, Hosea calls on them for a change of heart and direction. They have constantly uh, wandered away from God and he wants them to turn back to Yahweh. They are reminded about what mercy and justice are and that it's it's the very foundation required for all followers of God they must totally surrender, hope, and rely on God for strength. So in verse seven, Hosea mentions some of the sins that the people of Israel have committed, using dishonest business practices, defrauding people to make more money, and oppressing the people. So historically, Israel was prosperous, and this prosperity has led them to being prideful. They were so self-sufficient uh, and disillusioned that they felt that they, did, they didn't they did need God. They thought that because of their wealth, they were righteous and sinless, but their pride and self-delusion has been exposed. The Lord would eventually humble them. In verse nine, the Lord reminds them of their journey in the wilderness where they lived in tents. Um, so that at that particular time, there was no houses. They lived in tents. They were out in the wilderness. But here, We have to remember that they made a covenant with the Assyrians, which was not authorized by God. And when the Assyrians are done with them, they will be lucky enough to live in tents like they did when they were in the wilderness. The Lord warns that that the Lord warns that he has spoken through the prophets and with different methods, all types of visions and parables to communicate them to to communicate to them so that so they cannot plead ignorance as a defense like I didn't know I don't know what you're talking about and so Israel refused the warnings but continued in their sin their sins therefore the consequences of their sins will not be withheld and then we and in verse 11 there seems to this this confirms the degree and gravity of their sin of idolatry and their harbor rejection of the Lord. There are two cities that are mentioned in this verse that were full of iniquity, vanity, idolatry, wickedness, and false worship. And these places will be destroyed and left in rubble. With the reference to Jacob's plight, uh, Hosea tells Israel to remember, remember their humble beginnings. Their prosperity was not by their personal effort, but because God was gracious to them. Hosea also reminded them how the Lord delivered Israel by the hand of a prophet named Moses out of Egypt and preserved them. So despite the warnings from the prophets, Israel was disobedient. They continued in their sin, thereby aggravating the Lord's anger. And because of this, the Lord will leave them with their guilt of bloodshed. And he's referring to the violence they committed against others, including those human sacrifices. The Lord gives up on them and will evoke justice. In this final verse, the Lord states that he will pay them with a taste of their own medicine. Although God is merciful and compassionate, he is also a just God, and every sin has its consequences and must be atoned for. Graciously, God does not deal with us according to our own sins. Thanks be to God for sending his son to atone for us through grace. So as we reflect on this lesson, we must remember to always seek God daily in every aspect of our life and to ensure that we are keeping God at the head of our life. There are individuals and corporations in this country who continue to profit from deceit and improper business practices. These individuals and corporations find themselves hoping to obtain worldly wealth and prosperity, Meanwhile, they continue to widen the wealth gap globally. Their desire to achieve power, status, and wealth by human means has allowed them to lose sight of the destruction that they are causing to working class and poor people. In many ways, God is calling them out, both in love and strong rebuke. God desires all his children, even those that operate in deceit and material wealth, to bring justice and restore good order. We can often find ourselves seeking to obtain the material wealth of millionaires. Meanwhile, we're forgetting the reason God blesses us with wealth in the first place. We have been given wealth so that we may extend back that same love God has shown us and share it among the least of these and work toward restorative economic justice. We have to ask ourselves, what are we faithful to? What are you faithful to? What do you find yourself idolizing? You can also examine if the blessings that God provided you should be redistributed to those you and those around you that are in need. Lastly, seek to trust God to continue being a provider in your life and not to trust in your own ability to provide. I ask that you be blessed and thanks for tuning in to Out of the Box Sunday School. And I'll talk to you next week.